0: sermon text for this morning is Mark chapter 10, verses 1 to 12. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And the Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. uh, the disciples asked him again about this matter, and he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. This is the word of the Lord. Please All right, thank you, Jake.
1: Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all again this morning. My name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Tucson, Redemption is one church in multiple congregations throughout Arizona. I don't know if Paul said that at the beginning, but um, I uh, just, actually by way of introduction, if you've never heard me preach before, or you're new, or you just forgot, because I haven't preached in the last two weeks, um, I have a stutter, so just want to remind you of that. If you're like, I forgot in the last two weeks, it's there, it's still there. Um, but uh, so anyway, I just want to inform you of that as we go through. And um, also, you may have noticed um, I shaved off my beard. I had it. Some of you have only known me with a beard. So my wife and I got a week away together, and she was like, "Let's let's uh, shave it off," you know. Remember, remember what you looked like when we first met. And then right after, she's like, "Let's grow back out." So <laughs> it's coming back. But um, you know, yeah, we had a great, a great week. But I will say too, just because Paul said, I, I don't want Paul's advertising. Paul's a really nice guy. Wouldn't say a bad thing about anyone. You may have a bad experience eating Ethiopian food. I don't know. I We can't make that promise. He said you can't. Um, I, in my experience, you can have a bad experience with any kind of food. But, um, so just a little little disclaimer there. okay? So, But I do really invite you out um, to that. It would be a great time. I'm really excited for it. Um, so before we get, we're going to dive right in. I'm excited. Like I said, I haven't been able to be here and to preach in the last... Couple weeks, so I'm excited to get back together. Um, over the summer, we've had a, just a good time really getting um, to spend some more time building intentional community. We know our uh, college population is kind of s- s- starting to trickle back in, um, and uh, but, but we're still um, really walking through Mark, marching through, through Mark. And so while we're excited for kind of the next couple weeks as kind of people start coming back. Um, this this sermon in particular has really weighed heavily on my heart. Even since I saw, you know, I'm going to take a couple weeks not preaching. I looked ahead at what passage I was, and I actually drove here this morning from Phoenix because I just um, I was at uh, I had some uh, time away with my wife and my kids, but I really wanted to be back specifically to kind of lead us through this. It's, it's really weighed heavily. On my heart, so we're going to dive into it. If you'll go ahead and meet me in Mark chapter ten um, before, if you go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible with you, go ahead and hold your hand up, uh, hold it up high, and somebody will get you a Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, you do now. Keep this one. También um, si necesitas en español, tenemos. So if you prefer the Bible in Spanish, um, just say. Espanol, and somebody will give you one. We want you to be able to read. Sadly, I can't preach the whole thing in Spanish um, yet, but uh, but um, we, we want everybody to have a Bible they can read and follow along with. So, um, as we're turning there, let me say, first of all, you can turn to your neighbor and say, welcome to chapter 10, because we're starting a new chapter. So, let's do that. There it is. Welcome. welcome. See, we, we're working on this interactive church thing here. Right? Last week Ricardo said, when he says amen, you say what? Amen? amen. That's right. We're going we're gonna to be a clapping church one day too during worship. I know it. I can't leave that charge because we'll be all off. It'll be crazy. But we'll get there. Um, with that though, I, I just want to say as we get into it again, this is an intense subject. Okay, If you were paying attention when we read the scripture, we're talking about divorce and marriage. And I just want to be real. These are hard subjects for a lot of us. Honestly, for me and for my own family, um, divorce has been a dominant theme, and, and it's and it's a hard subject. And um, something that we say that we as a church, that okay, we never want to kind of false advertise. This isn't just a place to come and kind of feel warm and, fu- and fuzzy and then go on throughout our week and go eat lunch somewhere and that's it. Um, no, it, what we can take comfort in is that we're going to be uncomfortable together, okay? Because um, Jesus is calling us to discipleship, okay? That word means to be a follower. So, so um, what, what it is is God designed us to know and follow Him, to have a relationship with Him, that our relationship with Him and with one another would be, would be perfect and good, without shame, without, without contention. But because of sin, um, by nature and by choice, we kind of said, No, no, thanks, God. You're designed for things. Um, we're gonna we're gonna figure it out on our own. And we've turned away and, and kind of walked away on our own, and, and that's left us in a really broken, messy place. And, and Mark, in fact, what we're walking through, it begins with the beginning of the good news of Jesus, God the Son. And he's proclaiming his kingdom, and then we're challenged. Who is Jesus and what is he doing? And then we're we're um, challenged, well, who are you and how do you respond to him? And what we've seen and learned is we're sinful, broken, naturally, and by choice we've turned away from God. So, so we're defined by brokenness and sin. And yet, the way we operate, the way we try to go through life, is we try to fix broken problems while we look through broken lenses and use broken tools, right? And so if you've ever been stuck in the mud, I was gonna say stuck in the snow, but we're in Tucson, we don't do snow. But if you've ever been stuck in the mud after a monsoon or something, right? And you try to get out of it, you press on the gas pedal, what happens? You just get more stuck. And that's really where we find ourselves. As we try to figure out marriage, as we try to make sense of of, of, of the brokenness that we're in, we just kind of go around and just get more and more stuck. And and we try harder and we try to do better and we try to read articles and listen to talk shows and figure it all out. And it's just we're using broken tools and looking through broken lenses. And so where we're at today is we're going to look at the good news of Jesus. The good news that he's proclaimed he's making all things new. That he alone is our hope. That he alone can make new what has been broken. But hear me, in order for us to rightly hear that, we have to recognize the brokenness that we're in. Okay, so as as we walk through this, I just want to kind of warn you or tell you, my tone and the content's likely going to be hard and uncomfortable. And I and I again want to recognize for a lot of us it's probably gonna hit on some some wounds and it's probably gonna to, going to challenge us. And I want to I wanna challenge you though and invite you, all of us, to, to be humble. Okay, we say there's nothing to prove and nobody to impress, right? We're all here as broken people, needing the good news of Jesus to make us right, to make sense of our brokenness. And so where we're headed. Before I pray for us, where we're headed is we're going to walk through these these things. We're going to see that we naturally embrace brokenness. And then we'll see that Jesus enters in and Jesus exposes brokenness. And then we come around to Jesus healing brokenness. Okay, so, so in order for us to see that, I want to pray together. I want to, I want to ask us all to, to humble ourselves before God. And if you're not a Christian and you're here today, um, my, my prayer is that God himself would speak to you through his word, that he would open your heart and enable you to hear who he is and how he's designed you to live. And and again, for all of us here, that we would be humble enough to come and say, God, we need you to make sense of our broken state. Amen? Okay, Let's pray. Lord, we need you um, as we come before your word right now, as we get into Mark chapter 10. Um, I know there are probably some even here who are like, God, oh, man, this would not been to get Sunday to miss. Or um, this is not very comfortable. Or um, even for me to be, to be tempted to maybe dance around the subject. But, but Lord, you um, have a lot to say about marriage. You take it very seriously. It's an institution that you ordained, that you thought of. You don't just react to it. You create it. So, Lord, I do pray that we would be humble before you. I pray that you would lead us through this time in your word. Lord, we need you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so getting right into it, looking at Jesus, Mark chapter 10. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and the crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. So Jesus has taken his disciples, a few have been following along, they've been going, he's been teaching, he's been healing, he's been demonstrating that, that question that we've been asked with. Who is Jesus and what is he doing? He's been demonstrating that. He's been answering that question by showing us he's the king. And he's bringing in his kingdom. And now he's marching On a trajectory toward Jerusalem, where he will go and lay down his life on the cross, willingly. That's been his plan all along. And he's taking his disciples with him, and he's showing them what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And as he's taking them with him, as as you and I are challenged to consider, will you follow Jesus? He's, He's teaching right now about what it means to be one of his followers. So he's teaching, and the author, Mark, doesn't tell us what he's teaching on here, but... These Pharisees speak up, pick up in chapter 2, I'm sorry, in verse 2, and Pharisees came up in order to test him and asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? So what's going on there is these Pharisees, they're the religious authority of the day. They come up to Jesus and they have an agenda, right? They're not humbly coming, Lord, will you make sense of our lives? Will you, will you, will you tell us? We have this question. And if we're honest with ourselves, again, a lot of us, do we not come with this same kind of thing? We come at God with a, a question, or we come here with, with an agenda, with an angle, where we want kind of, we ask the question in such a way that we're expecting the answer that we want to get. And that's what these Pharisees are doing. They're coming, and they want to trap Jesus. Okay, they've been trying time and time again. They want to expose Him as, as a fraud. Or they wanna they wanna make more enemies for him, right? Because Herod the king, um, if you remember, Jesus's cousin John the Baptist just lost his head. Like not like in a metaphorical sense; like he got crazy. He literally lost his head. Um, got his head cut off because he spoke on divorce. He challenged the king, Herod, and Herod was offended because he had had a divorce, and, and, and he got mad, and he got John the Baptist's head cut off, and so these Pharisees are like, hey, it works for John the Baptist, let's, let's try to trap Jesus, and they're exposing themselves, because they're looking for a loophole, we'll see that in how Jesus answers them, but some things for us to know about the Pharisees, and their their conversation about divorce is they, um, they had a really loose kind of structure of divorce. Their society, as we'll see, really platformed these specific people as male authorities in, in charge. They had position, and their lives were really kind of um, comfortable, and they wanted their way of life to affirm that. And so their divorce structure really um, affirmed and built up and was kind of catered to uh, the, 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 the religious authority, the, the majority rule of the day. These men who had some clout and they wanted to keep things the way they wanted them. So they're looking for loopholes. They had a really, a really loose um, kind of understanding of marriage and divorce and they wanted Jesus to, to kind of affirm that. Okay, They're looking for loopholes. So that's the posture they come in. They embrace the brokenness. Again, how do we come? When we talk about marriage, so often we come and we just, we want to talk about it and we want to say things like, you know, people grow apart or, you know, you got to look out for yourself or you got to, you know, it's, and we come, our language, our posture reveals sometimes, often, that we're swimming in polluted waters and we're looking for the solution in those same waters. Or again, we're, we're looking at something broken and we're using broken tools and broken language and we carry a broken posture that just assumes and even embraces the brokenness. And when we talk about marriage, when we talk about divorce, when we talk about these hard subjects, rather than recognizing that we're really broken, maybe we need um, to be fixed and to be healed in some way that we can't do on our own, we just kind of think, nah, you know, and we justify it and we work through it in our own broken ways. We embrace the brokenness. And that's what these guys are doing, the same thing. And so they go to Jesus. They try to trap him. And notice, too, what they do is they use a passage in the fifth book of the Bible, the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 4. And we'll get into that as Jesus answers them and kind of gets in. And he's like, all right, let's 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 go there, all right? You want to trap me? Let's enter in. Let's dig in a little bit. But they, they mention Um, a passage in the Old Testament that's really permissive, or that seems on the surface like, yeah, divorce, you know, Moses said we can get a divorce under certain circumstances. Jesus, what are your thoughts? I'm trying to track it, trying to look for a loophole. They don't quote um, Malachi chapter chapter 2, where it specifically says God hates divorce. Right? They, they don't go there. They don't want to go there. They, 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 they reveal their agenda by, by, by choosing a passage that's going to that's gonna kind of affirm them. Right? Let me, man, we're going to see this a lot as they go on. Let's be real, guys. You can use the Bible almost for whatever you want. We've seen it throughout history, right? Crazy cults, genocide. All kinds of just nuttiness going on by people, like, slicing up the Bible and picking a passage. It's like, oh, this is what this means. This platforms my, you know, crazy, broken, evil belief, and I'm just going to use it to affirm what I want. I mean, Hitler did that, by the way. He quoted all kinds of scripture. And again, so often, I know Hitler to us seems like a huge jump, but... Because of our broken, sinful state, we'll do whatever it takes to affirm ourselves. Again, our natural propensity is to live in this sinful place of not God. Of thanks but no thanks, God. We'll figure it out on our own. And so what does Jesus do when he answers them? Though they embrace the brokenness, Jesus exposes it, Like like a boss that he is, Jesus answers their question with a question, as he often does. Okay, picking up in verse 5. And Jesus said to them, I'm oh sorry, in, uh, in, in verse 4, right? Jesus asked them, what did, you, know, you tell me, what did Moses command you? He says in verse 3, right? So they asked him, hey, what do you think about divorce? And Jesus knows what they're doing, and he asks them a question. You tell me, what, what did Moses command you? And they responded in verse 4. They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Right, so they're like, you know, kind of well, as a matter of fact, Jesus, thanks for asking, Moses said, uh, give a certificate of divorce. And there it is. And Jesus just gets right to the heart. What does he say surgically in verse 5? And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. Jesus reveals right there. Listen, you, yeah, Moses did say that, but you know why he said that? Because of your hardness of heart, because of your broken place, because of, of the broken embraces of your life. And you're like, yeah, this is, you know, people change, we're just figuring out this is. In these guys' case, we'll get into a little more what they did, but they were actually abusing other human beings, other people, through their divorce um, policies. And Jesus is like, yeah, because of your brokenness, because of your, your chauvinistic abuse, Moses had to step in and protect the most vulnerable in the society of that day, women. He says, yeah, yeah, God had to protect the women through this divorce policy By saying, if you're going to divorce, if you're going to live in these broken systems, here's how to do it in such a way that's at least going to affirm and protect other humans. And and not just let your your ways, you know, kind of roll over everybody else. And Jesus says, you're right, Moses did say that. But it's because of your brokenness. That word there, the the hardness of heart actually, is is like a, a, a sclerosis of the heart. It's a, it's, it's a hardening that, that is offended and closed off to any, any enlightening of God. Let's just be real. Is Where in our hearts right now is God just off limits? Specifically approaching these subjects of marriage, of relationship, of, of purpose and design. Are there spots in there? Where you right now need to be real and say, yeah, I guess my 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 posture is is hardened. It just says, yeah, God, um, you're off limits. This one's, this one you don't get to touch on. And that's what that's what Jesus is revealing. That's what he's exposing. And, and, and he says, Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're you're you got that out. But it's, that's still in that broken circle you've been running around. Let's take a step back real quick. And let's, and let's reveal that. Let's expose that. Is that brokenness in and of itself the way it should be? And, and I'm going I'm to read a couple things. One thing for us to say just is we're looking at this. Um, one of the commentaries I read said this. And again, let's look through our lenses today. Okay? 2015, we're talking about marriage. We're talking about any other hard subject in the world. And this one commentary said this The exceptional measures necessary when a marriage fall, fails are of no help in discovering the meaning and intention of marriage. Jesus endeavors to recover God's will for marriage, not to argue about possible exceptions to it. Okay, the divine intention for marriage can not be figured out by going to a passage in Deuteronomy and looking at it out of context and saying, uh, this passage is talking about divorce is going to tell me about how I should understand marriage. Okay, what, what, is, what God gives as a concession in a particular cultural context cannot be used as a directive for how marriage ought to be. And the way Jesus is walking through this with these people really reveals that. Like. So though, though we embrace the brokenness, Jesus exposes the brokenness. And what he does here, in particular, the main point is we kind of camp out here in a little, little bit in these next passages. The context of what Jesus is doing. And the context of Deuteronomy and what Jesus is revealing is it's to, okay, we wouldn't naturally see this. What he's doing, he's affirming um, women's equality with men. All right? Jesus is affirming, yeah, God gave that will because of your hardened heart. So as Jesus moves into healing the brokenness, he exposes it and shows, you know what, guys? You had such a, a broken approach to life. The, the, the divorce patterns of that day looked like this. A male... Especially a Jewish male of, 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 of religious authority, right? The people with clout. Let's just be real today. Um, white middle class males in our day, okay? Um, we just, you know, have things and systems and policies that affirm us and that affirm our, our perspective. And Jesus says, yeah, those were so sinful and so broken that you were abusing other image bearers of God. Because their divorce policy was literally like, man, you burn the pot roast. Peace. Like, you're, I'm done with you. And, and the way men would treat women and the way divorce happened is just, it was abusive. It was hurtful. Sometimes men would, would, would divorce a woman and then she'd be like an outcast in society. And then they would go get, go get remarried and then divorce that woman and then come back and want to remarry the woman they just left hanging. And all kinds of brokenness was going on. And so that that rule in Deuteronomy that the Pharisees are mentioning back to you was abusive and broken in and of itself. And so because of their hardness of heart, God steps in and says, Alright, look, if you're going to live this way, if, if you're going to have divorces, it needs to happen this way where at least the women are protected. You have to give a certificate of divorce. But again, the whole point here that Jesus is taking, he doesn't go to the fifth book of the Bible, but in his response to heal the brokenness, he goes back to the, the first book of the Bible. He goes back to creation, again, before that, that time of sinfulness. And so Jesus enters in, and, and as, he, as he answers them, pick up with me in verse 6, it says, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Again, right there, the language, this whole time, this whole passage, Jesus is uni- using countercultural language. Alright, let, let me say, let me be real. How many people today think that evangelical Christianity affirms women? And that's like, when you think of um, women's rights, how many people think, oh, um, Jesus, evangelical Christianity is the first place I want to go to hear about that? Like, not a lot of places, right? But Jesus is countercultural. cultural he, He's declaring men and women equally made in God's image. Right? To, be, to be made in God's image, do you know, do you understand the value and the worth in that? Every human being who's ever walked on this earth was created with a purpose to reflect almighty, perfect, glorious God. There's, there's inherent worth and value in that. And Jesus, in answering these, these hardened people right away, when talking about divorce, when talking about marriage, when talking about these hard subjects, he says, in the very beginning, God's design wasn't this kind of brokenness. It wasn't to figure out all these things. No, his design was perfection, was equality, was, was unity, was, was wholeness. And so Jesus affirms that in his answer, God made the male and female, and again, this was completely countercultural at the time. And I'm not going to get into verses 10 through 12. Okay, we're going to we're going to kind of camp out in verses 6 through 9. But real quick, with me, go to verses 10 through 12, and you can just see there, all right. Even as Jesus goes back to his disciples, right, and they're in the house, and they ask him some more questions about it, and Jesus answers them all the more, and he he explains basically that both men and women can be the offended and the offenders. Again, even that, there's incredible value and worth that Jesus is giving to women here specifically because in their day, they thought, well, men are in charge of marriage. Men define it all. Men get to do it. Women can be, you know, no matter what happens, women are just kind of byproducts. They're kind of recipients of this relationship. And even in verses 10 through 12, there even when Jesus includes women in the offense, where he says, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. That was countercultural, guys. That was, for there to be any offense against a woman was like mind-blowing. These guys, what are you talking about? What, if you, if you marry someone else, you're committing an offense against your wife? Well, I thought marriage was really all about me. And, and Jesus is blowing that up. He's exposing that. And then, as he continues on, he says, And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she too commits adultery. Elsewhere in Scripture, we could get into the nitty-gritty of all the specifics of all that. Um, But what Jesus is doing specifically here is he's saying that women can again be the offender and the offended. There's incredible value and worth to holding all people accountable. And Jesus is doing that. And so then, though, getting back up there into verse 6, as Jesus is healing the brokenness, what is he doing? Verse 6, he says, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Verse 7, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so that they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man Separate. Again, here's where, hopefully, because I think God's word does this, we all get a little uncomfortable. Because let's just be real, verse 6, right there, we've probably seen that on Facebook a ton lately, right? You've seen since the Supreme Court ruling, I'm going to go there a little bit. The Supreme Court ruling on same-sex marriage, a lot of us, a lot of people have just kind of put some broad stroke comments and just said, you know, um, God made marriage to be male and female, and you quote a verse like this for others, and just are like, there it is, That's, there it is, It's kind of throw out a little hand grenade, throw out my thoughts, and then just weave it out there, and not get into the rest of it. So let me just say for the church, some of us might be wondering, um, I, I do believe. And it's, and it's very clear in what we believe as a church, and it's, it's clear, I think, here, that God's design for marriage, that, the, that the, as we come before Him, it does say, a male and female, man and woman, that's God's ordination for marriage. However, that subject specifically, um, for me, and I think for a lot of us, doesn't exist in a vacuum, Right And things like Facebook and other kind of social media where just we feel this, this right or this potential to just kind of throw, throw something out there and not enter into the deeper conversation. For me personally, while i, I just shared that and I believe scripture teaches that, I, I have great friends. A friend who's a pastor, um, a family member who, who I'm holding this conversation with Um And and, and so, as I said, that might be uncomfortable for a lot of us. But we need to all be uncomfortable. Because I I think you might recognize that a lot of the people that would just throw that out there and say, man and woman, male and female, that's that's God's design, might be uncomfortable with what follows right after that. Verse 7, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What God has joined together, let no one separate A lot of people who sit on an ivory tower and just throw it out there and just say, there it is, God's designed for marriage. We don't want the microscope turned in on, how are we doing with oneness? How are we doing with um, no longer being two, but one? Okay, God's design for marriage, the sanctity of marriage, involves two people laying down their lives for one another, sacrificing themselves. And, and, and my older brother, who's not a Christian, and uh, we go at it on some of these subjects, with his voice trembling and almost tears in his eyes, he said, He said, David, if the church wants to talk so much about the sanctity of marriage, why not talk about it about those who are married? He was 13 when my mom and dad died. And he walked through that as he was um, figuring out what it meant for himself to be a man. And he he says, well, why not talk a little more about the sanctity of marriage in in a broader scope? I said, man, I do agree with you. The the Bible does talk about that. Because what this means right here is, is Jesus is healing the brokenness. Let's be honest with ourselves. How many of us embrace a oneness like this? And if we're just looking through broken lenses and we're entered into this, then yeah, the answers we can come to are all over the place. Then, you know, ah, uh, I've got my stuff, she's got her stuff. We, you know, we just, it works for us. Or, you know, men, I'm gonna hammer on us a li- little bit more. It's like, yeah, I've got, you know, I've got my garage, i got my thing. Hey, I can buy it for the family, right? I, we, we We, if we're honest, we live parallel lives so often and we have unsanctified, broken marriages where oneness is not the definition. We don't don't blast Facebook with that. We don't want to have that conversation. Guys, like I said, we need to have the whole conversation. We need to have all the conversations. Because to be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, means that we go from death to life. That's a surgical, uncomfortable process as Jesus is entering in, as he's exposing the brokenness, as he's healing the brokenness. It's not going to be all stuff that we want to just sit under nicely and that fits, you know, in a few characters perfectly and affirms our positions and postures. And I'll just say too, I um I don't even have the the, the passage, but just since we're here. Um, there's another passage that I think should expose to us, how we deal with these things through our own broken efforts. Um, Ephesians chapter 5. A lot of us, a lot of people will read that. A lot of men, a lot like these Pharisees, a lot of chauvinistic brokenness in our own places will read a passage like that, and it says, it says um, Wives, submit to your husbands as the church submits to Jesus. And a lot of people will sit there and I've seen it happen will be like, see, she's not respecting me. She's not, you know, um, she's not submitting to me. Uh, It says nowhere in there um, about, you know, lazy boys or or men declaring their rights. What is that predicated on? It's predicated on the next part that says, um, husbands, love your wives. As Jesus loves the church. And gave himself up for her. I I do believe that passage is calling for something. for, 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 For submission. In the same way that the church is called to submit to Jesus. And how is that? It's a responsive submission. It's a responsive love. What is the first cause in our relationship? It's Jesus. Hanging on a cross. Shameful. Naked, exposed to the world. When he's there, does he say, you know, the, the church isn't really respecting me right now. These people, they don't get it. They don't get how hard I'm working for them. They don't get how much I do for them. They don't get it. So once, once they kind of respect me a little bit, then maybe I'll, I'll, I'll respond or I'll love it. No. It says, while we're yet sinners, while we're enemies of God, Christ died for us. He first loves us. He lays down his life sacrificially, says, I have, I'm going to lay it all down right now for you, so that in response to that kind of love, the church says, I I follow you, because I know you have my very best in mind, because I know you love me. And yet we, we get all crazy when we dive into that in our own broken systems, in our own broken lenses. We come up with all kinds of different opinions of how that ought to work. And again, often it plays out in abuse or in complete disregard. Let me say this too, right? As we're going here, we're talking about divorce. Um, we're hammering on divorce. I said God hates divorce. As a church, it would take so much me to ever recommend divorce, alright, it would take so much in a counseling session, I've heard of other churches being like, why don't you guys separate figure it out when you're one you can. it's hard to separate alright, we're not going to go there but let me hear that, our no divorce policy or our hard, our biblical policy is never going to be a reason for abuse because that happens a lot too whoa, you can't divorce me Oh, we'll call nine one one in a second, all right? If there's abuse going on, if there's, if we'll enter into that, the, the call for us to be a church coming together under the the uncomfortable but hopeful good news of Jesus means we will enter into one another. We'll enter into the messiness of brokenness, of 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 hurt, of pain. Right? We're not here to put on faces to to act like we've got it all together. I joke with my wife at this. Meeting marriage conference I heard that we just had. I said, oh, well, let's hold hands so everybody thinks we have a good marriage. It was a joke. is kind of messed around. But seriously, don't we sometimes do that? Like, oh, we're in church right now. We can't. We have to talk to each other. We have to. That's, that's so broken if it's not real. All right, we, we, so again, hear that. If you're in an abusive relationship, if you're an abuser, as our church grows, as our culture solidifies, as we fight for marriage, we're going to fight for the whole deal. We're going to fight while we're married. We're going to fight with the marriage. Okay? Amen? Amen? So now I think we're left, um, church, to ask a couple of questions. What does this look like? How do we land this plane? We've talked about how we embrace brokenness, and I think we, we need to recognize that. I, I think that's become clear. But... By the grace of God, he's under favor. He shines the light of his word on us and he reveals what is ugly, he calls it ugly. He reveals the brokenness. He says, I'm not gonna play your games. I'm not going to Deuteronomy chapter 24 with you and gonna enter in and dance around. I'm gonna go back to the beginning and I'm gonna say, How did God design this whole thing to be? And so Jesus exposes that brokenness and Jesus heals the brokenness. Well, how? What does that really look like in our lives? What does that really look like for us? I'm going to walk through, as we close right now, four application points. And let me just say, this is new for me, all right? I'm, I'm really
0: hesitant to ever be like a five steps to health, wealth, and prosperity or happiness. So I'm kind of hesitant to give these, like, fill-in-the-blank application
1: points. Um, and I'm not terribly organized, so that's also part of it. But, um... I did list out four things for us to walk through that that I hope bring uh, the good news to the the hard conversation that we've been having. And the first is this. There is always hope. The point is not hopelessness. Alright, if you're hearing what what I've just talked about as we've looked at Jesus and you're feeling hopeless, um, I'm sorry. And, And that is not the message Of Jesus. Right? The good news of Jesus is there is always hope. Read with me this this in in Romans. What if some were unfaithful? Haven't we been talking about that today? We're, We're swimming in unfaithfulness. So we ask that question. Well, God, what about... You don't know our situation. What if some are unfaithful? Does their faithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? We're we to underline this, by no means let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. Justified, sanctified, redeemed, what does that word mean, our church, Redemption Church? It means what has been broken is made new. And there's a, there's a, a free from slavery language in there too. It means emancipation. What has been in bondage is now set free. That's the good news of Jesus. Here me, look at me. There is not an individual or a situation in this room that is beyond hope. Not a single one. And there is always... The potential for God's healing and redemptive work. I'll share a little bit about my family. My one, and I think it's even on our redemption Facebook page. My, one of my siblings wrote on it and it kind of jokingly says we put the fun in dysfunction. And sometimes we, we make a lump light of brokenness and sin. And, but the reality is, my family, by if you just look at it, is there's a lot of dysfunction. But by God's grace, um, my 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 mom and dad danced at my wedding. And yet my dad left when I was five months old. Um, They both jokingly refer to the other as their first uh, ex. I don't even know how you get that. But they've both been married and divorced a couple times. And yet, by God's grace, my stepmom, who I love, actually now ex-stepmom, she put her trust in Jesus. And we've bowed our heads and prayed together for other members of our family. Um, My half-sister from my dad's second marriage and my mom... We're together, and someone asks them, What's your relationship? And they just kind of laugh. And they're like, We're family. It, it's, I mean, there's redemptive potential because of the finished person and work of Jesus, always. So there is hope. And secondly, gospel action, not complacency. This is always true, okay? We heard about this last week. The good news of Jesus, what He's done, when it says, Jesus has done everything that you can't do. Alright, let me spell this out clearly. It's this. Jesus came and lived a life that you and I could never live. He was perfect. And then Jesus died the death that you and I are supposed to die. He did that so that, through faith in Him, You and I can live as God has designed us to live. That's the good news. And so that never leaves you complacent. It never leaves you like, oh, all right, well, God's in control. All right, hopefully you hear this message, you hear the hope of Jesus, and that compels you to hope-filled, grace-driven action to conversation after today, to to working it out, to rolling your sleeves up and grinding it out together, to having the hard conversations. And then thirdly, Jesus is the victor, not the example. Let me say not just the example, but I have to kind of hammer on that pretty hard because so much of our culture and society just puts Jesus as the example, right? What's the wristband? What is it? WWJD, what would Jesus do? The message we get from that is like, man, this is sure hard. Husbands, going back to that Ephesians chapter 5, this is sure hard to be a loving, godly husband. Oh, my, wrist, my little wristband says, what would you, oh, look to Jesus. Well, try harder, do better, try to be like Jesus. No, the, the real message needs to be, what has Jesus done? W-H-J-D, it's a new thing. Um, I'm going to market it. But seriously, what that looks like is this. It means we look at the cross and we say, okay, Ephesians chapter 5 says, Husbands, lay down your life, give of yourself, love your wife, as Jesus loves the church. Well, look at the cross. Alright, right, don't try. That's not going to work very well. It means you look at the cross and you say, Jesus, thank you that you did what I cannot do. Though, though I feel like, man, I'm, I'm kind of hanging myself on a cross here. I'm exposed here a little bit, and I'm not getting the respect that I deserve. And you look to Jesus, and you say, thank God that you didn't demand my respect before you make out your life. And then you look at him, and again, by his grace, you understand the gospel. And through that power, you're compelled To be the man you're called to be. To be the wife you're called to be. And then, lastly, pray and be in community. And James, we're told, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another. For the prayers of a righteous person, prayers of a righteous man, prevail much, bring about much good. Guys, when we talk about redemption communities and we talk about, and here in a moment Paul's going to call us to respond and to pray for one another, that's not just because that's what churches do. That's not just because, yeah, we're Christians. You've got to have a midweek something. We do communities. No, it's because that is God's um, design for how we live this thing out. For how we're reminded of the gospel. For how we're reminded of what it means to be a husband that's based on the gospel of Jesus, that's how we're reminded and equipped and empowered to be wives that God has called us to be. That's how we have our embracing of brokenness exposed and dealt with and healed by the gospel of Jesus is coming alongside one another in community. Another part of our brokenness when we turn away from God is individuality. And so, the last thing i really call us to is pray for one another, move toward one at the end here, when Paul calls us to respond and to pray, that that's never a sign of, oh man, they must have some stuff. Good thing, I'm, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to stay in my seat because I don't need that. No. It's a really good thing. It's a really good sign to be praying for one another, to be asking for one another, to recognize the brokenness that we embrace, to, to recognize our need to have the brokenness exposed And then to recognize the need to have our brokenness healed by the good news of the person and work of Jesus who takes you very seriously. He takes Mary very seriously. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for for your word. Thank you that it is the word of life. the, The word of hope. God, I don't know where everyone's at right now, again, I expect that some are hurt, that some hopefully not, but may still feel hopeless, some um, perhaps are angry, Lord, I pray that because of you, because we submit to your authority, that we would have the freedom to move further in to the brokenness, asking for healing, recognizing our need for healing, In our time of response right now, even as we take communion, recognizing that through brokenness, through death, comes life, comes healing, comes hope. And Lord Jesus, this is all because you loved first, so that we may respond in faith. And Lord Jesus, we pray that you will lead us through this time. As we pray, as we worship, as we sing, as we live in your name. Amen.